belief in Jesus Christ is a starting point which leads Christians into a way of life that aligns their actions with God's desires. Hi, I'm Femi Asabin, a preacher for the Church of Christ. And in today's sermon, After Belief, we will look at Jesus' interaction with his disciples on the Sea of Tiberias recorded in John 21. In it, we will see how Jesus focused their lives after they had come to a full measure of belief and utilize that to think through how we can focus our lives to align it with God's desire for us. After belief, then what? A challenge that a lot of Christians have is not in their acceptance of the gospel truth, their acceptance that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. The challenge that a many of those who have belief is what do you do with that belief? How do you respond to it appropriately? Now, Earl, we have been going through the Gospel of John and uh, where we are now is at the 21st chapter of John. And in the 21st chapter, what I believe it shows is a natural progression of someone who has faith. Now that I believe, what does that look like in my life? Just to recap, in chapter 20, we are showed what we are to believe in. So we have examples of people who had an understanding of Jesus, but on a full understanding of what he came to do. And Jesus reveals himself first to Mary and then to uh, Peter and then to John and then to the other uh, disciples and then Thomas at last. And then what does he tell them? He says, go out and tell this message to the world. And then in chapter 21, we get what I believe is just the natural flow of what happens with people who have faith. We believe. But what do I do with it? Do I just go back into this world and I know that this belief in Christ is, is calling, compelling me to be a different person, but I don't exactly know how to exemplify that in this life? What does it mean with what I came from, with where I am, to where I am supposed to be? What it does show us is that it's not just an overnight thing when you come to belief in Christ that you immediately become the person that Jesus has called you to. There has to be some internalization of this message. There has to be some analyzing where you're at, what Jesus is calling you to, and understanding what it is you must do with that information. Now, we're going to look at John 21 in its entirety because I think that what we'll see is how we wrestle with our belief with Christ and how we move to the next phase of that belief, which is action. John 21 starts. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, 
They were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed him in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with the fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. There is some scholarly debate as to whether chapter 21 in John is an appendix to the gospel. If it was written afterwards, uh, afterthought as a apologetic to the death of John which could be the case but I think that it's an integral part of the gospel because in it a bunch of things are reemerged that causes one to think of essential moments throughout the gospel that causes one to deeper faith commitment and ministry just a few of the things that are brushed upon is this Reference to a testimony of who Jesus is, what he did, and what he called people to. 
The gospel starts off that. John the Baptist testified to Jesus, called people to Jesus. The Holy Spirit testified to Jesus, reaffirmed the truth that Jesus was a Christ and that those who believed this testimony were given eternal life. It's touched upon at the end of the gospel. But then we have these other stories from the gospel that are alluded to. First one, I would say, is this miraculous feeding of the 5,000. It's at the same sea of Tiberias to where Jesus has fed these 5,000 people and he has sent his disciples away with these 12 baskets of fish and bread to go away while he goes to pray. And here we are again, the same meal with seven, seven disciples, but the same meal. And what we learned in the feeding of the 5,000 is that God, Jesus can supply what we need to sustain us for life. And right here, we have that same lesson being reintroduced and taught to those who are being called into deeper levels of ministry. What we also have is Jesus's references to the good shepherd now imputed on Peter. Peter, do you love me? Shepherd my flock. And what that tells us is that there is a concern for those who would commit themselves to Christ and that he's calling us to one and that he's not calling us out here without somebody to lead us, somebody to care for us and somebody to discern properly God's will, God's message and give it to his people. And the last one that I would say is alluded to is Peter's denial in the court of the high priest to where Peter three times denies relationship with Christ and now three times reaffirms commitment to Christ all included in the last chapter of this gospel to remind to recall to testify to those who believe the depth of what we are called to the first one that we will look at is this feeding of the disciples as they're out fishing, what I think Jesus is telling them is that I really can supply the things that you need for life. What I want you to do is know that so that you can go out and do what I ask you to do. And what's interesting, Jesus doesn't condemn them for going out to fish. Jesus does not condemn these men for being people. Sometimes people want to read this and they want to say that these disciples didn't have faith and that they had gone back into the world. The Bible doesn't make that case. The Bible just says that they went out. Peter said, I want to fish. They went out and fished with them. And what happens? Jesus appears in the morning. They had toiled all night and got nothing. And Jesus appears in the morning and asks them. They don't even recognize. Do you have anything? No. Cast your net on the other side. And their nets are full but not so full that they break, but they have a large catch. And I think what Jesus is showing the disciples is I can supply you with the things that you want in this life. I can provide you with fish if that's really what you want. But it's not going to happen until I say it does all night. When you're supposed to catch fish, they're trying to get it. They don't. Jesus comes in the morning. Cast your net on the other side. They don't even know it's him. And what do they do? They respond appropriately. They take these words for granted and then they cannot 
barely haul in the fish. And it's when they haul in that large count that the disciple whom Jesus loves recognize that that is the Lord. And what does Peter do? He runs to him. But in the recognition of Jesus and his blessings for them, Peter says, I need to be where he's at. And Jesus already has fish showing them. I can bless you with what you're looking for, but I don't even need it to provide it for you. Bring the 153 fish to shore, but I have fish for you. I need you to know that I'm going to send you out into ministry and I can provide what it is that you want, what it is that you're looking for, what it is that you need. So don't put your hope and your faith and your efforts. Go out and do what I'm asking you to do. You don't need to worry about fishing because I give you fish. And if I want it to where you still go out and fish, I will supply you with enough fish to where you can barely bring it in. But it won't happen until I'm ready for you too. A lot of us in the church, we still want to fish. I don't think we'll be condemned for that. But I think what we need to know is that if we're going to go fish, we need to do it. We need to do it with the recognition that our hope is not in the fish, but the one who can provide the fish. So that we need to do it knowing that we're Christians and knowing that we have to do it the way that Jesus tells us. So we have to have faith that my work, my efforts must be secondary to my calling as a Christian. Because when I understand who God has called me to be, what Jesus Christ has commissioned me to into this world, then those true blessings will come. He'll provide all the fish that I need and more. But I must be listening to him. Toiling all night. Nothing. A lot of people spend their efforts trying to gain, trying to establish, trying to accumulate in this life. Nothing. And it's not until they do it how God says, then they reap the benefits. See, they don't even know it's Jesus. And he says, cast your net on the other side. It's almost as if there was some imaginary wall to where those fish couldn't get to. Just throw it on the right side. Then there's 153 fish. What happened? They listened in faith. A lot of times, if we just take the Bible at face value, listen to it in faith, the results that we desire will happen. Why? Because that's the way that God wants it to. He wants us to listen, to interact with him in faith so that we will recognize that there is a validity to the faith that we have. Cast your nets on the other side, not because it makes sense, but because that's what Jesus said. And when you do that and you recognize it was Christ who blessed you, what do you do? You do what you can to be in his presence. Peter Girded his clothes around him goes to Jesus because he knew that it was the Lord. He said, this fish is a great catch. It's a lot. But I want to be where Jesus is. I think that's what Jesus is trying to show him in the blessings that you need to come over here where I am. Because while this is a lot of fish, I have something better for you. And then while they're bringing this fish in, what does he have? He already has fish. The very thing that they're searching for, the very thing that they want, is the very thing that Jesus has with him. And as Peter comes to this setting where Jesus is sitting, as it says, with this burning coals and this fish, 
I wonder if Peter's mind is going back to the scene in the courtyard of the high priest. Because it's almost as that's where scripture is trying to get us to, to consider. Because that's the last time we heard about charcoals. The last time we heard about a fire is where Peter was sitting there denying Christ and Jesus Christ looking back at him. But there's a lot of people who would say that this is where Jesus reinstates Peter. I'd like to give a little bit of pushback on that because I believe that Jesus reinstated Peter when he appeared to the 11 and he gave them the Holy Spirit. Because it wasn't only Peter who had abandoned Christ. It was all of them. And what Peter saw then is that he was worthy. He was worthy of what? To receive the spirit. To be commissioned to go out and to spread this gospel. And he was even given authority to forgive sins and remit sins to an extent, as said in the 20th chapter of John. So I believe that Peter was already reinstated, but I believe what happened was that Jesus was shoring up Peter for the journey that he had ahead. How many of you guys have ever been asked a question and you told somebody to answer? Then they ask you that question again and you tell them the same thing. And then they say it again and you're like, man, I already told you the answer. What's happening? You're getting stiff. You're getting a stronger resolve. You're making up in your mind that you're not going to change your answer, your stance towards this question. I think that's what Jesus did with Peter. Because Jesus knew that Peter was going to have to die. And he wanted Peter to know that you are so committed to loving me that no matter what happens, you're going to remember this moment when I questioned you these three times as if you love me. And no matter what you have to go through, you're going to recall this and your love is going to be shown. So, Peter, do you love me more than these? And the these is in reference to it's not specific. It could be these disciples. Do you love me more than these disciples? Do you love me more than they do you? Do you love me more than you love them? These could be the fish. Do you love me more than this fish? These could be the fish and the activity of it. Do you love me more than any of this stuff, Peter? Because if you do, I want you to take care of my flock. You saw how I was as a good shepherd, and I want you to emulate that with your life. And when you go to die, I want you to remember this moment to where you said you love me because you're going to need it because it's not going to be the death that you want. And so, Peter, Jesus, you know, I love you. You know, all things. Why are you asking me this? Because I need you to know that you love me. And Peter. I think he realized it because if we're to believe tradition, Peter is said to have been martyred the same day as Paul killed by Nero, crucified upside down because he felt that he was unworthy to die the same way as Jesus. But because he loved him, he was willing to give his life for Christ, something that he wasn't willing to do at one point in his life. But he knew he loved Jesus and he showed it with his death. And Jesus knew that this is what he was going to be called to. So he reinstills in Peter a recollection of the love, the depth of ministry that he wants Peter to be involved in. 
And as he's doing that, Peter is a man. So Peter does what most other us do. I got to die for you, Jesus. What about them? I got to have it hard. What about do they got to have it hard, too? And what Jesus says, don't worry about that. What if it is that I want them to be blessed with a long life and you die? What does that matter to you? Follow me. Don't be so concerned with what another person has. Follow me. I'll take care of all of that. Because what I need you to do is something other than what I need them to do. And where I need them to go is somewhere that you're not going to. But you still need to follow me. And so at the conclusion of this gospel, what we have is an allusion to these concepts, these stories that was embedded in the gospel of John. And I think what it is trying to teach those who believe in this word is Jesus can provide the very things that we're looking for in this life. A lot of us have hobbies, activities. We have things that we like to participate in that we seek some type of meaning for. Jesus has that in his church. We'll just call it fish. We try to fish for a lot of things. And it eludes us until we fish for it under the guise of Christ and his authority and his command. So some people are looking for friends out in the world. Some people are looking for money. Some people are looking for purpose. Some people are looking for meaning. Some people are just looking to do something. Jesus says, I could bless you with what you're looking for, but you have to listen to me. I can give that to you, but listen to me. And it don't always make sense. So we read the Bible and we use that to guide our lives. And then we come across passages that says if somebody asks, if you give it to them, if somebody hits you, turn your cheek. If somebody is going to pray, do it in private. If you're going to give, do it in secret and God will take care of you. Do these things that are counterintuitive to the flesh and God will bless you in the spirit. Do these things that call you away from trusting in this world and God will bring you into his eternal presence in his world. But we cannot do that unless we accept Jesus's words at face value and act on them in faith. Cast your net on the other side. 153 fish are waiting. Why? Because that's what Jesus told us to do. We need to do the same thing when we come across God's word. Just do it. And we'll recognize that they were the commands of Christ when we receive the results that only God can guarantee. So we need to have faith when we come across God's word and do what it is that he's calling us to. And in doing that, we must analyze ourselves. What is it that we love more than Jesus? It's a question we, we, we really should feel uncomfortable with. But what is it that we love more than Jesus? Because if we recognize that there's something that we love more than Christ, and that's going to hinder us from being the Christians that God is calling us to in his son. But if we see that these things in life do not 
garner more love to them than they do to Jesus, then we will have the strength to do everything that he's calling us to. You hear me? If we love Jesus more than the these in our lives, we will do whatever is necessary for us to be Christians. That these could be friends. That these could be your stream of income. That these could be the activities that you love. And if you don't love those more than Jesus, then you'll be willing to put them in their place so that you can be used for service for God. I'm not saying that you don't have hobbies, friends, relationships. No, I'm not saying you don't have a job. But what I'm saying is if you put that before Jesus, then what you're actually doing is idolatrous. So we need to learn to put things in their proper place and don't let the these cause us to follow it more than the one who's calling us from it, which is Jesus Christ. And when we do that, we will be prepared to walk any path that Jesus has for us. Because not all of us are going to be blessed to stay a long time on this earth to have an easy life. Not all of us are going to be blessed with riches. Not all of us are going to be blessed with the things that we would consider make this life pleasant. Some of us are called to suffer. Some of us are called to go without for the sake of Christ. And if that's our calling, we have to know that Jesus is still with us in it and that we're not abandoned because we've suffered some earthly pain, some earthly discomfort, some earthly abandonment for the sake of our heavenly father. If you don't have your priorities short, these will block you from seeing that. And then if you don't understand what God is calling you to, what you'll start doing is looking at somebody else's ministry, somebody else's walk, somebody else's calling. And you'll say, why don't I have it like that? God doesn't love me because I have to suffer and they don't. And that's not the case. But what you have done is you started looking at somebody else instead of focusing on what God is calling you to. We all have our own path to walk. God's calling us all to something different for his sake. And it doesn't matter what each and every one of us have to go through as long as we go through it with Christ. Because the whole point is not what we go through in this life, but what we get to in the next life. There's only two paths. One with Christ to heaven And another without Christ to him. And you can lose your way trying to follow somebody else to where Jesus didn't call you to. So what we have to do is we have to be so assured that the blessings that we seek are really found in Christ. And he can give us everything we're seeking so that we have the love, the commitment to be who he called us to so that we can minister as he calls us. So we can emulate him in this life and not get so caught up with what I do, what I don't have, who I am, who I'm not. And ultimately, our lives will be a testimony to God. 
Because we already believe. Who in here does not believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Who in here does not believe that it's the baptism that washes away your sins? Who in here does not believe that you must repent? That you must worship God as he instructs? You see, we're all common in the belief that we have in God. The question now is, what do we do with the belief? And I say, be active in the form of ministry that God is calling you to. And it might not look like you want, but it'll get you to God when this life is over. It might not look like what anybody else is doing, but it'll give you the same reward that Jesus has promised all those who believe in him. And in conclusion, we must all put a mirror to ourselves and ask, now that I believe in Jesus, what am I going to do next? Because that belief must reflect in our actions. I'm not sure where that sermon leaves you. My prayer is that you will contemplate it and incorporate it into your Christian life. If you're not a Christian, I ask, what's stopping you? God sent his son, Jesus, to freely extend the gift of salvation to all who will follow him. To get that salvation, one must follow the example set out in scripture. The book of Acts, which details the church's beginnings and expansion, shows us biblical examples of those who were saved. A good place to look is in Acts 2. You get Peter preaching the first gospel sermon and the response of those who heard and believed his message. They repented and were baptized, which added them to the church Christ established. The Bible only teaches of one church. If you want to be added to it, go to your local church of Christ and tell them your desire to be washed of your sins and to live a godly life. Study your Bible, put its teachings to practice, and you will make heaven your home.